Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Bloke and the Bird Show. After three straight weeks of races, you get I'm a break. Not, you get a break. I, I'm not ready for a break. More. Bring in more. Well, I, I'm fairly certain that the teams get a break. And I, I have not been able to find it. I went looking for it. I'm, I'm actually, I'm kind of frustrated that I couldn't find it again. Um, I stumbled across in one of these recommended posts that shows up in your Facebook feed because it's realized that I kind of like Formula One. Mm. So it started to show me that stuff. There was a picture of, and by the way, if you were not already a fan of Lando Calrissian Norris. <laughs> <laughs> so we are admitting that he was named after Lando Calrissian, he right? Den- he denies it. He's he, wrong. <laughs> he has denied it, but but we... Anyway, we know better. Yeah. So if you were not already a fan of Lando Calrissian Norris, there was a picture going around social media today, at least what popped up in my Facebook feed briefly, and I can't find it again, was um, the McLaren, and, and I don't know which McLaren it was, but one of the two McLarens up on Jack's with the mechanics working under because they were packing up to, to end the weekend, and underneath the car in the same high-vis work shirts as the rest of the mechanics was one Lando Calrissian Norris helping to disassemble the car to pack it up. Oh. And, you know, one of the reasons why they need a break is the car looked really rough. (laughs) You know, it's something that you don't necessarily see on television. You don't see it all. Um, And always amazed me was how much of a beating they take mm-hmm. and was it drive to survive that we watched that explained like they repaint and redo the graphics on these cars well we had talked about it a couple of years ago and and uh, you know in, in thinking about it i may use that the same picture it was of an orange mclaren the nose of an orange mclaren after a bunch of flyaway races a couple of weeks ago with or a couple of years ago with all of the the black marks from the the marbles of the tires and and the bugs and everything else splattered everywhere i think i i think we will use that once again okay but that just i mean it's something you just don't think about and even with our super high def you know mm-hmm. almost real in the room with you life-sized tv um <laughs> You don't see the marble being picked up and you just don't see all the scrapes and the scratches and the the graphics that get torn to shreds. Yeah. Um, and you know something? We also saw that in uh, mid-Ohio when we would go to the IndyCar races. And that's nothing like what they're putting these cars through. But you would notice that those cars, like, they were taking a beating. Yeah. Oh, Definitely. And it wasn't contact beating. It's just the driving. So we have actually a lot of news this week. For three straight races, there's a lot of stuff going on. So first up is um, a lot of driver news. Ooh. A whole lot of driver news. So I, I do need to make it clear that this is not the official signed contract. But apparently um, Valtteri Bottas and Mercedes have reached an agreement in principle... Mm. Um, the, the, the contract is still being finalized uh, that uh, Valtteri will remain with the team for yet another year through 2021 now honestly and, and, and that's the one thing that kind of bothers me is you, you gotta if you're Valtteri Bottas you gotta be pushing to get a longer term contract 
I know. I mean, it's a good fit for him. It's a good position for him to be in, especially if he's got a contract that, that gives bonuses based on points earned. Mm-hmm. Even to not win a championship, he's making bank on the on the points because this is such a good car. True. But I don't know. I wish they'd give him a two-year contract. I don't need you to have a five-year contract. I don't need you to have Lewis's contract. But I'd like the boy to like know that he could be someplace for two years. Like I don't even feel like yeah. he can unpack his locker. <laughs> I'm like he's still carrying all of his books around in his backpack. Well, he he can't have all the 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 office toys on his desk yet. No, no, he has to pick them all up and clear his desk every time he goes home because he's not entirely sure he's going to get to come back. One day, he'll be able to keep his Valtteri Bottas bobblehead on his desk. I don't know. I think I, I think he carries it home. Well, he, when, he, when he was at Williams, he did have to go and keep it separate from his Pastor Maldonado bobblehead. Well, that's because Pastor Maldonado <laughs> bobblehead knocked everything over. We have to segregate the bottle of red wine from Maldonado Vineyards because it's been a little crash happy in the in the bar now as much as valtteri can't and, and this is what's kind of frustrating valtteri can't get a multi-year deal but george russell is on year two of a three-year deal and by the way williams confirmed that they're going to keep him for the uh, remainder of his contract so he will be finishing out 2021 with williams well great i hope he gets a point so what this means is two additional seats that are now closed to one Sebastian Vettel. Because he was really hoping for that Williams seat. Well, you know, we, we do have our tracker. <laughs> you have a track. You actually pulled up a tracker. I'm looking at it. it. Was, well, it was in the show notes last week. Okay. We, we, we had our tracker uh, of... Um, teams that that uh, were not willing to to let Seb drive for them next year, which oh, and the the other thing that has been floating around social and and we do not have it confirmed, but floating around social media is that um, supposedly Ferrari has removed Sebastian Vettel's name from his jacket, <laughs> from his jacket, from his jacket. <laughs> it was apparently so. The story goes that in Hungary. Seb was once again having a conversation with Christian Horner and Helmut Marco. This time with masks. Okay. As opposed to last time when they got in trouble. This time they were all wearing masks. And Christian looked at Seb's jacket and remarked that it appeared that Ferrari had removed Seb's name from the jacket. And Seb said, yeah. Ouch. Now that's somebody that has to tote his stuff around in a cardboard box. Yeah. Well, no, he, he does, and he's got till the end of the year to clean out his locker. But he knows he's got to start bringing stuff home now. He's already working on that. Um, we, we do not know if that is true, but that is the story that is going around. The one thing that was obvious, though, is that it does appear that a sponsor has been removed from the Ferrari team kit. Yeah. We don't know who it is. But it was. It appeared that the Ferrari mechanics had a sponsor's name taped up on their left sleeve. It did. 
And some well-positioned red electrical tape. Yeah. But... You have to wonder, do they order that in Ferrari red? I'm sure they do, actually. It's not a Lowe's stock item. Well, keep in mind that they probably are, are taping up a lot of the gaps in the bodywork. Uh, true. And they want it to match, so that's... Yeah, they probably do have a supply of Ferrari red electrical tape. So, back to our tracker. Okay. That has since been updated from last week. So, obviously, Ferrari's a no. They're a hard no. I that, mean, they, 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 they actually put another human in his seat. Yeah. That, that, that's what <laughs> set the whole chain off. So, we know Ferrari's a no. Um, Renault, obviously, another no. Yeah. That, that's, that seat's done. Um, Red Bull. Hard no. Again, another hard no. Um, and you have to assume, we have not gotten any confirmation, but you have to assume that Toro Rosso is another hard no. Well, yeah. I mean, being the junior team for Red Bull. It, it only makes sense. Like all of Red Bull is a hard no. Yeah. So it only makes sense. Though it would be funny. It, it would be, especially since he, he uh, had some great success at Toro Rosso. I mean, he started out there, so... No, he started with Williams. That's true. He was originally a Williams driver. Um, last week, and possibly the week before, we talked about how stupid an idea it would possibly be. This rumor that kept coming up that um, Sebastian Vettel could move to Racing Point Aston Martin for 2021. Yeah. And Otmar are repeatedly saying... No, he's not coming. Mm-hmm. And then German newspaper build. Because they've gotten things so right so often. Uh, apparently when it comes to Sebastian Vettel, they kind of have an inside line. Oh. They're considered a reliable source when it comes to news about Sebastian. Interesting. German newspaper build has said that actually... Because of the performance that Lance has seen so far this year, that activated provisions for an exit clause for Sergio Perez from his long-term contract at Racing Point. And that actually there are conversations going on between Racing Point and Sebastian Vettel for a drive in 2021. So to go from red to pink, huh? Yeah. That'll be interesting. So, again, nothing official. There is no announcement that has been made. Uh, Sebastian Vettel is not commenting. Um, Otmar has been kind of quiet this week. So somebody told him have, to ixnay on the Edelve. We, we have not heard anything from Otmar this week denying it. Interesting. Now, Gunther Steiner did stand up and say, hey, over at Haas, we'd be happy to take a four-time world champion. Seb, you, you know, we're here. You got my number, man. Call me. Yeah, but Speak they can't. Speak the same language. You know, you could, we could talk in English. We could talk in German, whichever. It, the question is, how much does Vettel cuss? <laughs> I mean, could he keep up? I, I, I suspect that Seb could keep up with with gunther i mean gunther invents his own cuss words he does um yeah but until haas can figure out how to do a pit stop 
not entirely sure that Vettel would tolerate that. Um, well, they've gotten better on the pit stop issues. They they did not have... Okay, so <laughs> this year... Three and, races. And I will point it out that in my predictions this year, I'm pretty sure I said that Haas was going to screw up the first race pit stop. <laughs> and they didn't do it this year. No, they didn't. They had brake failures. It wasn't because of the pit stops. No. So different different situation which means you didn't predict something correctly i yeah i, I will I, I, there's a couple in there that i got wrong i know that already that that's fair i'm just saying because you know yeah. i'm also beating you in fantasy gp wow <laughs> phil be happy she hasn't set her her, her sights on you yet that's because Phil's bringing up the rear. Yeah, there you go. Knew but, it was coming. Anyway. But Phil never starts off the season strong. He's like Hamilton. Anyway. Talk about the fantasy league. Don't talk about the... I'm doing what you ask me to do. You know. <laughs> you're diverting is what you're doing right now. You want to talk about the fantasy league, do it at a designated point. Oh, wait a minute. not the designated point. That would require pre-show planning. Yeah, well, you know, you ran off. I did not run off. Anyway. So. Back on Gunther, track. Gunther has said. You just like saying hey, Gunther. You know, we'll we'll talk to, to Seb. Four-time world champion, no problem. Um, Sergio Perez, all he will say on this right now is that. When the the latest rumor hit this week, he was approached by a rival team. Haas, I'm sure. And I'm pretty sure that's exactly who it is. Haas with this thought of if they can get his Telmex sponsorship, that's good bucks for them. Oh, seriously. It would be a win-win for Haas. And I mean, they get a great strong driver. They, they get a great strong driver. They get... A Mexican driver, which, okay, granted he's not an American driver, but that still gives you a regional fan base. Correct. For a North American team. Mm-hmm. That, I mean, an, another potential win-win there for I mean, them. So. It's not quite Ocon to Renault, but... No, it's, it's not, but it's a still... a lot closer than yeah. a Frenchman and a Dutchman? Magnussen's... Magnussen's not Dutch. What is he? He is Danish. Danish. It was a D name. He's a Dane. He's a Dane. He. So, all Perez will say at, at this moment, not anything about an exit clause, but that he has been approached by a rival team. And so we are waiting to see what happens with this. But while we're talking about Haas, so Roman Grosjean was talking this week about his potential future and what could be going on. And Roman said that, you know, the, the, the challenge here is really trying to understand what's going to happen with this team and will this team have a future, um, even going so far as, well, what he said is there are a lot of question marks here. Let's get rid of the elephant in the room. Is Haas going to be here next year or not? That's obviously the question. What are the other places available? Obviously, the market got shaken up quite quickly this year with the Ferrari announcement and the following things, so we'll see what the opportunities are. Personally, I'll see also what I'd like to do and what I feel like doing in the future. Looking a little bit, but also not rushing everything and seeing how things are going. 
So this whole idea about the future of Haas being the elephant in the room, apparently that it that didn't sit too well with Gunther Steiner. What did dear Gunther say? Um, please remember we have a clean rating. So Gunther's response was, to, to specifically to Grosjean's comments, I think his answer was the wrong answer because he was asked what he is doing and he spoke for the team. I think the elephant is in his room, not in our room. We know what we want to do. And if we are here or not, that will be just decided once we sign a new Concord. Everything is on the way that this will happen. I'm still confident that we will be here. So I think the elephant needs to go out of the room and into Roman's room. (laughs) So (laughs) we have an elephant moving around rooms. Is it social distancing? I mean, these are questions about this elephant. Well, as long as it stays in the social bubble, we're okay. How big is a mask for an elephant? Big enough. (laughs) Do you have to get the whole trunk in the mask? But, uh, yeah, kind of interesting there, this whole idea of, yeah, maybe Roman should be more worried about himself than the team. I I think it's pretty clear. I mean, we kind of saw it last year, but I think it's pretty clear that um, the honeymoon is very clearly over between Haas and Roman Grosjean. Oh, I think you're right. How does Magdison and Perez get along? I don't know. That's going to be the question because K-Mag is not exactly known for being a team player. Um, I think he gets along with somebody. I hope so. Not sure who. It wasn't Hulkenberg. So, Gunther was asked about the, the rumors swirling with Perez. Mm-hmm. So, all he would say is that I think we need to, or in my position, you need to talk with everybody as I always do. I talk a lot. I talk a lot with a lot of people. And sure, I talked with Checo before in previous years. In the end, I'm talking with everybody and anybody. I respect Checo and what he's doing. I don't know what this speculation is with Racing Point, and I don't want to add any more to this speculation that is going on at the moment because I have no intelligence of it. He talks to all the best people. All right. I, I'm going to give him, <laughs> as much as yes, that felt very Trumpian in, in, in this speech, I will give Gunther a bit of room here. Remember, English is like his fourth language, or is it fifth? Depends. Do you consider cussing its own language? It might be sixth. (laughs) (laughs) Because I think he cusses better than he speaks German. I don't know about that. Well, it depends on how many languages he's cussing in. Remember, he can cuss in multiple languages here. But, I mean, you want the definition of a multilingual person. Gunther is right up there. So many of our team principals are multilingual. The team principals and a lot of the drivers, too. I've been very impressed. I mean, it makes sense once you, like, spend half a second thinking about it. But, you know... You have to know at least two if you're not an English speaker and you're participating in Formula One. Right, because... A native English speaker. Right, because Formula One primary language is English. And from that standpoint... It's just it to me. It's just as fascinating um, how many other languages people pick up. But you think about it; they're in such an international 
world in their own bubble in their bubble mm-hmm. even before they were talking about sub bubbles and stuff but in their own bubble they're in such an international world um that picking up another language is not uncommon but you know okay you think about it we we know that nico rosberg speaks multiple languages what was his degree in like chemistry or something like that yeah but but we know he spoke multiple languages we know that Gunther speaks multiple languages. We know Sebastian Vettel speaks multiple languages. We know that Fernando Alonso speaks multiple languages. We're guessing that Jensen Button spoke at least two, Japanese and, and, and English. I have never heard anything to indicate that Lewis Hamilton or any of the English drivers or team principals hmm. speak or are, are, are multilingual. All the ones from the continent we know most likely are. True. True. But I don't think Jensen was fluent in Japanese. Not originally. I think he might be, he, he might have become fluent in Japanese. So one of the things I learned from one of my old clients is that Japanese is such a hard language to learn mm-hmm. that... <clears throat> It, if you are not a native speaker, you are never considered fluent. Oh, that's fair. I can see that. It, it is It is that complicated. Yes, you may be able to come up with a couple of phrases that make you passable to be able to get around. But that particular company whose headquarters was in Japan, mm-hmm. they would send um, employees off to like a Malaysian boot camp to learn English, which they would pick up in two weeks, <laughs> which, trust me, lifetime still learning but two weeks um and then like a month or so later they'd go back for another week of boot camp in english so the question was to the english speakers do they send you to like japanese boot camp and the statement was no it's easier for them to learn english than for us to ever get close to learning japanese i could see that about especially about written japanese it's supposed to be incredibly difficult but i wouldn't even try that and they don't teach them written English. I mean, they are, yeah. they're not writing in English. They are <clears throat> being able to converse. But that was, that's the trade-off. So I just thought that was always fascinating. But anyway, moving out of my work and back into Formula One, you know, diversions, that's what I do wow, today. That, yeah, th- th- this week is apparently all about seeing where you can derail things, I guess. <laughs> At least we know where that stands. So the Concord Agreement. One of the key pieces about having oh racing beyond well actually now that we've pushed back some of the rules I'm wondering if Concord the requirement for that to get signed has been pushed back as well that would make some sense but but, but. as a reminder this is basically the the commercial agreement that governs the payments to the teams and the general operating and, and marketing structure of Formula One around the teams. It's something that has been under negotiation for quite a while. Um, it looks like they are just about done. Whoa. And according to Mattia Bonotto, as far as Ferrari is concerned, they are ready to sign it. Which means in the Concord Agreement, Ferrari is still going to get the most money. Um, yeah, <laughs> probably. <laughs> we don't know the, the, the details. And actually, that's one of the other things that, that's probably important to point out is that when it comes to the future of Haas, if Gene Haas should decide to pull the plug on the venture at the end of this year, 
he needs to make that decision before the first signatures go on the Concord Agreement. Oh, wow. Because once signatures start to go on the Concord Agreement, if a team withdraws like this voluntarily, there could there are is a very strong potential for financial penalties. Ouch. So if he declares that the team will not participate in 2021, especially if they have not signed the Concord Agreement yet, they get out of it without any trouble. If that Concord Agreement starts to come into play, that changes things. Interesting. Yeah. <clears throat> I, th I think what ends up happening is that if they pull out after the Concord Agreement has been signed, because remember, some of these payments come in arrears from previous years, they may forfeit those payments. Oh, that could hurt. Yeah. So Matias says that, that they would like to sign quite soon, mm. further putting the pressure now on Gene to make a decision as to what he wants to do. Um, Matias says, I think it, that's important for the future and for clarity. At least I think we can all know where we are. I think it is important also for the small team somehow because it's part of the entire package. He would know how it means to the smaller teams because, you know, if they're Ferrari and Ferrari's big team and, you know. He's guessing. Yeah. He's, you know, his he's assumption. imagining what it would be like in the slums. His, his assumption, yeah. How the, how the peasants. How work. the peasants live. <laughs> <laughs> So Mattia goes on to say, looking ahead with clarity is important. So some are ready to sign. I think we are somehow happy because we know that F1 has understood the importance of the role of Ferrari and F1. And that's your, your key line right there. <laughs> that for us was key. And so we are satisfied from that. We had our bottom kissed and yes. we're getting the most amount of money no matter where we place. Therefore, it's okay. So Mattia was asked about what potential sticking points there might be. And Mattia said, I'm not really capable of answering you because, as I said, as Ferrari, we are happy and ready to sign. I think the question should be asked to the ones who are not fully happy yet. So apparently Otmar Safnauer over at Racing Point was approached. And Otmar would just say, I think a lot of work has gone into it. And I don't think we are that far off to having something that we can all sign. But there's still a few talking points, which I think will happen in the short term. Interesting. So they're close, we think. We just don't know how close. Well, also keep in mind that we've never seen in previous iterations, the Concord Agreement's kept pretty secret. Yes. So this is the most that we ever find out is everybody agreed to it. Yeah, I mean, we will, as we move through, get bits and pieces about what the disbursements are from the prize fund and things of that nature. Um, but we don't typically find out what they get from the percentage of the 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 media fees or the merchandising and some of the other stuff that happens no. that will be hidden from us so while Mattia was talking he also admitted that um yeah the, the the clamp down on what teams can do with the power units that that came out through all the technical directives last year mm -hmm. that that has had a significant impact on the 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 car's engine performance the technical directives had an he, he, impact he says in Ferrari's. It was the technical directives. It had nothing to do with the fact that um, the FIA said cheater, cheater, pumpkin eater, and made them get into a settlement that we're not going to see the light of day. He says it was the technical directives. That's you mean, their story, and they're sticking to it. 
cheaters. Until somebody goes climbing through the dumpster back behind the, the factory in Marinelle. And finds what? The shredded up document? Yes, that... the agreement document that somebody tossed into the trash. Yeah, because that's going to happen. You well, know Manito did... Uh... Who? <laughs> Mattia Bonotto, maybe? Mattia. Wow. Somehow Minuto so, came to my head and I just yeah. kept talking. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> you know he had all of those agreements burned. Possibly. And there, put one. into the urn with Enzo's ashes. Um, no, probably the one copy that's still around is the one that's separate. <laughs> put my name back on the jackets mm. and I won't release this. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I said that didn't get you a contract. I don't think they're going to care. Yeah. So, um, we do have all these technical directives that, that are supposed to be making the teams play better. And as part of these directives, to make sure that they were not cheating with the engines, additional sensors were put in place so that the FIA could monitor what the engines are doing. And oh, by the way, the teams don't get access to that data. It's encrypted, so they can't even read it. Oh, wow. So, yeah. So according to Nicholas Tambasis, he says he thinks that the extra sensors and stuff like that, that that were introduced are working well. He says, I think they're providing more confidence in the measurements at the FIA for those parameters. But then he goes on and he says, but we're always given information by teams worried that maybe some other team may be doing this, that, or the other. It's almost on a weekly basis we receive some form of comment. A percentage of those things may be paranoid or fears, but a percentage of those perhaps have an element of truth. So we systematically prioritize them based on how likely we think it is. It's something we look at and then come to another resolution. I wouldn't say there's a major one at the moment, like any major fears that are a huge concern is a breach of regulations, but there are some small ones we have to take a look at. Oh, interesting. So somebody might still be running cheater engines. Well... I always think it's funny. It's, it's, you know, mom, he's got oil in his engine. <laughs> you know, it's, it's. He's burning oil. <laughs> Make him stop. I think that's a double diffuser. <laughs> the wing is flexing too much. And we'll get to that in a minute. Ooh, flexing wings. But first McLaren. But first. Um. Zach Brown says that they are ready to commit to their long-term future in Formula One and also expecting to sign the new Concord Agreement imminently. Oh. So, so good news there. Well, that's good to hear that McLaren is committing to this, and they're seeing some really good results this year. So, Well, except for today. Well, today was not a great day for them. Which is sad. Yeah, but... Um, they're also, Andrea Seidel over at McLaren is weighing in on the race, the racing point copycat allegations. What does he have to say? So Andreas says that, you know, if the FAA does not handle this properly, it runs the risk of Formula One essentially being a copycat championship, of teams resorting to the um, how much that they can copy from other cars and still get away with and roll out. Which, you know, to some extent has always kind of happened. 
Well, that when you told me that this was the story, I kind of had a, that's not a story feeling. Because here's the thing. If somebody figures something out, isn't it on the other teams to copy it? Just at the very least to keep up. Well, I think the, the, the biggest challenge that they have here, because what we've seen in the past is, and, and it's one of the things that we've complained about, is Team A comes up with trick part that gives them a, a noticeable performance advantage. They run away with it for a little bit, and all of a sudden the rest of the teams figure out what Team A did, and they start to emulate it and copy it, and then surprise, it gets banned. Right. In this case, when you have the copying the vast majority of the design of another team's car, even if it was the previous year, you you can't ban the whole car. <laughs> That's about the best that I can come up with, is that, well, what are you going to do, ban their whole car? I mean, Okay, you know, I'm sorry. I have no love for the pink Racing Point team. I don't, you know. I, it's this is not Lewis Hamilton. It's not some of you know. It doesn't even have the legacy love that I have for Williams and all of their stuff. But you've got to give this scrappy little team a little bit of credit. They were behind the eight ball in the de development, and they said, "Hang on, we can figure out how to jumpstart our own personal development by reverse engineering someone else's car." Well, you know. And they did it off of photographs. I gotta give somebody a lot of they credit, did. credit for that. It, it, it's not just that. In, in a way, this is an evolution of the Haas model. Mm -hmm. You know, Haas turned around, and and I think to some extent, we we don't know how much, but I think to some extent, Racing Point did the same thing that Haas did. They went for every single um a unlisted part because if it's a listed part you can't get it from another team but if it's an unlisted part they went and got every single unlisted part that they possibly could from mercedes and then they turned around and they pulled out their digital pictures and and their their instagrams and they started reverse engineering everything to build they, the rest of the car and then figured out how all of those unlisted parts fit together in the design for the mercedes it is, you're right. It's the next evolution of it. And I don't think that necessarily somebody is going to make this a copycat series because the reality is the person who gets it right the first time is the innovator. And you'll always be chasing that innovator if you're in a copycat model. Well, I think what the fear is, though, is that when you have enough teams that are going the copycat model, the innovation slows down. Well, why would this be any different than, you remember several months ago, a lifetime ago, pre-COVID, <laughs> I don't know, you and I had this really great conversation about uh, a possibility of how to save F1, and one of them was to open source. Yeah, which I thought was stupid. And the idea of this was a core car that you could mm -hmm. open source and then you could make modifications and basically allow, you shortcut the, the, the basics and open the door for innovation at that next level. That, that's the thought. I mean, the, the question becomes if you're 
you know, a team like Racing Point, who is running off of a limited budget, mm-hmm. you're you're going to stop innovating. You're going to stop trying the new stuff. I mean, that's something that Racing Point, they were known to some, now it wasn't always fully successful, but their nose designs, they would go with a, a very different nose design with varying degrees of success. Um, you know, we, we see that with a lot of these other teams that they will try whether it's a different suspension geometry or something like that to try and get an edge. You got to kind of wonder if, you know, the the answer is going to be, well, we'll just copy Mercedes. Right now they're not copying Ferrari, but we'll just copy Mercedes. (laughs) (laughs) Well, right now, that might be what they have to do in order to perform enough to get the cash flow to be able to innovate the next six-wheel tier. Yeah, I don't know. We'll see. I mean, do not misunderstand me. I am the biggest proponent of whatever is the next six-wheel Terrell. And keep in mind, six-wheel Terrell didn't work. It did to a point, though. I think it won a race. But it wasn't a champion. No, it was not a championship car. And there were some significant shortcomings to the car because the front wheels were so small they couldn't handle the rotational speed. And they blow apart. That that is definitely an issue. But it was also not the Bratham fan car. Which didn't make a race. Right. But if it had, it was supposed to be like It could have been a game changer. A truly game changer. So Renault has basically said the same thing that McLaren is saying. And right now Renault is leading the charge. Mm-hmm. Um, they're the ones who did the the protest at the Styrian Grand Prix. Uh, they did not put in a protest at Austria. Right. Um, their feeling was it was more important that we have a race and let it go, and, and we'll protest later. Mm-hmm. So they waited till the steering Grand Prix. Um, we have not seen word that they have challenged Hungary, but the expectation is that they're going to challenge that one as well. Interesting. So the way things work, and, and again, they're only challenging the brake ducts. Um. Racing Point is currently preparing its defense, and the governing body, uh, FIA, the FIA, anticipates that if all the evidence is gathered on time, the case will be heard in the last week of July, just prior to the British Grand Prix. If that happens, a result will emerge before the race. But if the losing team then appeals, the case will then probably continue until after Spain, which is round six, potentially triggering further protests at the two Silverstone races and in Barcelona. Wow. There, there's one other piece here. So apparently, they're challenging the brake ducts on the car. But it's the question of whether or not the brake... One of the questions, I guess, is whether or not the brake ducts are the 2019 design or the 2020 design. Interesting. The reason for that is, I guess, in 2019, that wasn't a listed part. Which meant you could sell that to another team. Oh. For 2020, it's a listed part. If the design is different between 19 and 20, and they use the design from 19, it may still be a legal car. Well, even more than that, if they... How do I say this? If they bought the... If it was an unlisted part 
they could have bought the brake duct directly from Mercedes. Exactly. And because that that's the if the design is the same for that 2019 brake duct, the reality is that's the only way that they could have the same design is if they had bought it from Mercedes. Correct. Or, the, or Mercedes had provided them with the diagrams for it. Because it's not a visible thing, that's not something you can reverse engineer from pictures. True. So if it, the design is the same and it's a 2019 part and the 2019 part is not a listed part, it's then legal they're... to have that break duct. Now here's the big question. Mm-hmm. And I, it'll be interesting to see how this whole thing flows out. But what happens if the twenty nine on the Mercedes, the twenty nineteen and the twenty twenty brake ducts are fundamentally the same? It's not a question about the fundamental piece, though. I know, but what if they didn't upgrade the brake ducts? What if they are actually the same, but they sold them the 19 brake duct plans? Hey, look, this is written for 2019. Mm-hmm. But when you look at the 2019 Mercedes plan and the 2020 Mercedes plan, they're the same. You'd have to be able to show that, the time, date stamps or whatever, to show that, that, that it's the file that you think it is. Would be my assumption. Would be the way that would work. But the other thing, and I don't remember... First off, I don't know if this is the front or the rear brake ducts, but I thought last year that there was a bit of a, and maybe it was the year before that, I don't remember. There was a bit of a stink about the rear brake ducts on the Mercedes that they had rerouted how that was coming so that they like vented through the hubs or something like that. Hmm. That would be the other question of which version of the brake duct are they using? Yeah. I am. I have, you know, lots of questions, but it'll be very interesting to see what the answers are. So what we know about the investigation prior to this, remember you talking last week of, I don't understand why this is an issue. We know the FIA looked at it. Why are they still protesting? Well, Nicholas Tampasi told us what they have looked at, what they did already. Um, he said, we did have some noises made by some teams over February, and we decided to investigate before Australia, and we did go to the Racing Point factory. We primarily focused on the rest of the car, not the brake ducts, fortunately or unfortunately. The Hmm. rest of the car was extremely similar, and the rest of the car was listed both last year and this year, so there were no excuses in any form or shape. If the rest of the car had been somehow obtained through CAD information, that would have been blatantly illegal. In fact, it would have been implicating both Mercedes and Racing Point very heavily. So when we went there, we looked into this matter. We looked primarily at the rest of the car, and we were convinced by what we saw that Racing Point had been saying as their process of taking photographs and reverse engineering from the photos was very plausible. I would say even more than that, they showed us how they have done everything, and we were satisfied that was the process they had indeed followed. So in the winter discussion, we didn't go into the detail of the air ducts, rightly or wrongly. I'm not saying necessarily that was the right thing. With hindsight, maybe we should have gone into that more, but we were looking at the whole car and the parts that had traditionally been the listed components. Regarding the air ducts, he added, we certainly have opinions about the air ducts, 
and we're discussing it also internally because there are some delicate legal and regulatory matters to address. But the Renault protest is specifically concentrating on what is the more complicated part of the matter, the front wing or the nose or the diffuser and all of that, let's say are relatively easy, and that's what we primarily focused on in February and March. If it had been found that they had been given information on a diffuser, for example, then both teams, Mercedes and Racing Point, would have been in fairly deep trouble, I would say. Mm. So as of right now, there is no indication that Racing Point is guilty in the case, according to the FIA. Mercedes. Mercedes. That's not what you said. That Mercedes is guilty in the Racing Point case. Right. You said that there was no indication that Racing Point was guilty. And what you meant to say is that there's no indication that Mercedes is guilty. There's no indication that Mercedes was guilty. There you go. At this point, we have no indication. So, we shall see. But again, the part, if it's the 2019 part, which was not listed... It was not illegal for Mercedes to give that design to them. If they even gave it to them. If they gave it to them. Um, so do you think this qualifies as a gate? I mean, is it duct gate? Not yet. Okay. I think we have to find out the results of the investigation. Uh, we can't declare it a gate before there's a results. I'm not comfortable doing that. Okay. So in other reviews that the FIA is doing, they are assessing the rear wing flexibility test, Um, especially concern after seeing uh, the Red Bull's wing moving around a bit in Mm. Austria. Now, it's not clear if it's because, so so to to be clear, there are static pullback tests of the rear wings that are done to ensure that the wings don't flex down at speed to reduce drag. there was movement onboard footage onboard footage of the cars specifically in Styria. Uh, Max Verstappen's rear wing was shown to be uh, moving around during his battle with Valtteri Bottas. What's not clear though is it what was the wing engineered to do that in violation of the rules, or is it just that it was super fragile? Mm. It's possible that it was super fragile because bits did fall off of it. <laughs> okay, we don't know. So there are two tests that the FIA conducts to make sure that the wing is not flexing. One is vertical and one is horizontal. The first one demands that the rear wing must deflect no more than 7 millimeters horizontally when a 500 newton load, 500 newton load is applied horizontally. And the second test demands that the rear wing can deflect no more than 2 millimeters vertically when a 200 newton load is applied vertically. So they don't know how they're going to change this test. But they're trying to look at that because they're not sure what's going on. Okay. While we're talking about designs, apparently, so remember that there's a freeze on uh, components, the the homologated components uh, that teams can run uh, at the end of 2021, and they've been given two upgrade tokens to decide what they can upgrade on. Correct. However, it turns out there's a bit of a loophole for a couple of teams. Specifically for a couple of teams. Specifically for a couple of teams. Racing Point and Alpha Tori in particular 
are, and, and there may be one or two others, but we know Racing Point and Alpha Taurine in particular could get under these rules some free upgrades. How? So it turns out that teams that are currently using 2019 parts on the car, if they were to upgrade those parts to the current standard, the 2020 standard, that does not count as an upgrade under the token piece. So Racing Point is using the uh, 2019 Mercedes gearbox, so they would be able to make a token free switch to the 2020 unit, and Alpha Tori is using the 2019 Red Bull gearbox. And should they decide to upgrade that to the 2020 spec used by Red Bull Racing, that's a free upgrade for them. Interesting. So probably not a big deal, but a little bit of potential there. True. So McLaren, though, will get no upgrades because they're using their tokens to make the switch over to Mercedes engines. Ah. Because it's a completely different engine supplier, even though they're moving to the 2021 spec, it's a new engine supplier, so they have to use up their tokens for that. Oh, wow. Yeah. The Ferrari customers don't have the opportunity for the free upgrade because despite what we have seen in the past with Ferrari of forcing down older specs on their their customer teams, they're both running the current spec. <laughs> okay. Hey. I thought that was a rule that came out that they had to share the current spec. From the more. power unit. From the power unit. But these are the gearboxes, and I think there's some that are running, that may be running 2019 specs on suspension as well. Okay. But the power units have to be the same. Okay. So this weekend, race weekend, the, the last of a triple header, um, and we had two positive COVID tests. Really? Who? Um, so these were not, it, it, it sounds like these are FIA staff members, not team staff members. And these were folks who actually came from outside the bubble. I thought nobody was supposed to breach the bubble. Yeah, I don't quite understand how this worked. They're not giving any specific details uh, beyond the fact that it was two people who tested positive. They were not present in Austria, and the affected people were removed from operations and isolated. Mm. So we don't know anything else about this. It doesn't sound like they're seriously sick, but there were a couple of positive tests. So, you know, we, we'd love to tell you about the incident that occurred in the formation lap involving Max Verstappen. Um, but, yeah, we never saw that. Thank you, ESPN. <laughs> Something apparently happened. Max apparently hit a wall. They replaced the, the suspension form- on the grid. But that didn't happen in the formation lap, did it? Uh, well, it was on his way to the grid. Yeah. Yeah, we, we, we would like to be able to tell you that. But yeah, we didn't see it. So we heard rumblings that something had happened. But that was really about it. All I know is that on lap seven, Lewis Hamilton radioed his team and said, hey, I thought that uh, that guy wasn't supposed to be racing yeah. today. <laughs> what's, what's, what's Verstappen doing back there? <laughs> why, why do I have this Verstappen in my rearview mirror? Yeah. Um, so... Yeah, something apparently happened with the suspension. He hit he hit the wall. They replaced his front suspension on the grid. 
um, in like 30 minutes did what was a significantly longer job. It, it was pretty impressive that they pulled it off. We think, because we don't know what happened. Not really happy about that. The lack of pre-race coverage that ESPN... Really frustrating. It's frustrating. You know, we might have to go back to Channel 4. and Unfortunately, they're not carrying anything other than this coming week. They're carrying a British Grand Prix live, but everything else is their highlight package. Ugh. Ugh. But you would get to see uh, David Cothart again. Uh, Possibly Mark Webber. Yeah. Oh, come on. Cothart and Webber is a great combination. They're very funny. They but really they're, are. They're better when they can do the grid walk. And since nobody can do a grid walk, then yeah. Yeah, they're set too. Yeah. I mean, and truly, if Cothart has to go sit by himself in the Cothart stands. <laughs> <laughs> no, he shouldn't. He should be up in the booth with, with Tom Clarkson. Oh, okay. Mark Weber's possibly up in the stands. In, in the Weber stand. Yes. As opposed to what the Martin Brundle stand. Or... No, it's the Ted Kravitz. Stand it's, yeah, it's with his Kra- pirate with his pirate spy class. He didn't talk about his pirate spy class. He did at not all. this week. You're not letting him live that down, though. Because it was you? awesome. <laughs> I'm standing here with it my pirate awesome. spy class. Yeah. So what was not awesome was Valtteri Bottas's start. That was he not. flooded the engine. He popped the clutch. It was not pretty. Close. I'm kidding. There was something shiny. <laughs> I can see Toto Wolf running out there with a black piece of electrical tape going, we're going to just solve that problem right yeah. now. <laughs> so Valtteri said he was distracted by a light on his steering wheel. There was something that was on it turned off. He doesn't even know what it was. But there was something that, that turned on that then turned off, which distracted him. Um, so he reacted to that instead of the start lights. Um, and this is where I say you were close, is because when he reacted to that instead of the start lights, he got an anti-stall, mm-hmm. which is what caused him to stop and have to start again. Apparently, the only reason he did not get the penalty is because while, yes, he moved before the start, which was illegal, he did not move far enough to trigger the detection device. Ah. If he had triggered the detection device, that would have been a penalty. But because he didn't trigger the detection device, he, he got away with it. Whew. Not, not, not that I would consider that kind of a start getting away with it. I mean, but... he lost so many places, too. So, yeah. I mean, I wondered at one point if they would even give him a penalty because I mean, it's not like he gained any advantage. He actually mm-hmm. lost in any sort of advantage. Well, that was the other thing. I mean, and, and definitely if... Falling back the way he did, if there was any kind of a collision, he wouldn't have gotten a penalty for that either at that point. Yeah. Yeah. Don't quite understand how um, Kimi Raikkonen ended up in the wrong spot, though. That That I can't figure out. That I couldn't figure. I'm like, he was at the back of the grid. How do you... Well, not just... I mean, some of it may have been... had may have had something to do with the, the two Haases and... Mm-hmm. Um, Daniel Kvyat diving into the pits, but there are and, and they did this deliberately. There's a lighted panel on the the side of the track before every one of the the uh, grid boxes with the number and the initials of the driver to indicate where they're supposed to be. 
but Kimmy reads in Finnish. And I'm sure that they put those numbers up in English. Yeah. I mean, if they had put the Finnish numbers up, he would have been fine. Is is that what it was? You know, it it was a very exciting race to start. Mm -hmm. It really was. There was a lot of great stuff. It settled down, unfortunately, pretty quick. It did. Um, And we did not have any last lap heroics from Lando Carvazinor's. That was really sad. I was really hoping yeah, for some last something. Last lap. I mean, there were some mid-pack races, a big pack. There was a lot of activity in the mid-pack. Um, passing where there was like up to six people fighting for a particular mm-hmm. grid spot. Um, that was really nice to see, but was real what was really frustrating though is we knew Valtteri was running down Max in the closing laps of the race. I, I don't recall seeing any of, or at least seeing any of that chase from an angle that it was, you were able to tell that that's what was happening. I know. That, that was kind of disappointing because that was, I think, a shaping up to be kind of suspenseful there. Now, there was, again, a lot of good action in the mid-pack, mm-hmm. which was nice to see, especially since um, Lewis was on a Sunday drive. <laughs> I mean... <laughs> I, I was thinking about that. Other than the moments that Lewis was in the pits, I think he led every lap of that race. Yeah, and, and really it was only the first pit stop. Right. That was it. Other than that, he, he owned it. Now, there was, as we saw, some confusion at the end of the race around Lewis in a pit stop. Oh, yes. So Toto gave us a little more information on this. Oh. What he said... In classic Toto Wolf fashion. Our communication was not great around there. Really? <laughs> I, I, is, that, is, that, is that the culmination that of That was your, a quote, by the way. That was, <laughs> is that the culmination of his root cause analysis? I mean, wow, that's some deep contemplation you got there going on. Now, now he did go and, and elaborate on that, but that, that was a direct quote. He elaborated. He said, in the morning, we agreed that we wouldn't pit for a quickest lap that it was bearing too much risk. The call to pit around lap 60 to protect against the safety car certainly would have been the right call, but the gap was never quite comfortable enough. It was a second or two, then two and a half, then we hit back marker traffic. Then, obviously, we communicated with Lewis, so at the end, it was a bit of confusion, and four laps to the end, he pitted to score the fastest lap. I think there's a lot to learn from the intercom conversation that we had in the garage, and certainly the communication with the driver. It was certainly not 1A, but at the end, the result counts. Mm-hmm. I mean, any time that, that Lewis is going to come on the radio and goes, go, what just happened? And Pete Bonington's response is, I don't know. I'm trying to find out myself. That's not a good sign. <laughs> that is never a good sign. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I get that. And then the thought, you know, I loved the commentators going, well, Mercedes is known for their dummies. I'm like, who were they dumbing it? Well, <laughs> I mean, in a way you could kind of think maybe they were throwing a dummy to Verstappen. But even still, what at was the three, reaction that, that they could do? I mean, at three laps left? Well, that was at 10 when they did that. That was at oh, lap at 60, 60 they, they did, did that. Did. They finally brought him in at 67. Yeah. But at lap 60, it was like, well, okay, if, if he didn't come diving in when you sent Valtteri into the pits, 
why would he come diving into Lewis when Lewis is 23 seconds in front of him? Yeah. It, it didn't make any sense to, to, to think that that was a dummy. Um, my, my best guess is that somebody put their foot down and said, no, the, the softs are not going to last. Don't do it. Mm-hmm. Um, which, at the end of the day, I think that that was why they pitted him at 67, which is because they said three laps. That would have got him his three laps, and that's it. Yeah. But. So, Haas looked like they had a brilliant strategy hit. Mm. Worked out really well for him. The fact that, you know, Magnuson ended up in ninth place. Well, the team was excited that Magnuson ended up in ninth place. That should tell you a lot about the amount of confidence that the team has in this car right now. I know. They were happy with ninth place. They didn't keep it. Oh, no. So, unfortunately, um, the stewards investigated both drivers over a rule breach on driver aids from the start of the race. So, as you'll recall, we, um, the cars lined up on the grid, and the two Haases, unlike everybody else who was on Inters, were there on uh, full wets. Which I was an odd choice. It was an odd choice, but given the uncertainty about the weather, it was a gamble. Mm-hmm. Um, and and the other thing I, I kind of have to wonder is, again, because we didn't see it and we do know that Max Verstappen spun off somehow. I'm assuming he was on enters there. Maybe they had made the, the, the initial judgment call that the conditions of the track were still going to be too wet. And they decided that they were going to stay on full wets. But they came through that formation lap. And on the lap, we heard Daniel Kvyat call to come in and say that he wanted to come in and he wanted to change his tires. And ultimately, he did. Mm -hmm. But what we also saw, but we didn't hear the radio calls, was the Haases came in as well and switched their tires. Went to to the slicks. Well, it turns out... That how that went down is the problem. Oh. Because unlike Daniel Kvyat making the call and telling the team, I'm coming in for slicks, the team told the Haas drivers. Mm. And unfortunately, that puts them in violation of Article 27.1 of the sporting regulations, which states that the driver must drive the car alone and unaided and limits the radio instructions that the drivers can receive, especially around the start. Oh. So as you'll recall, the there was a prohibition that came down around setting clutch bite points and things like, well, this is one of those things of ordering a last-minute tire change is a violation. So according to the bulletin that came out, Having considered the matter extensively, the stewards determined that the team instructed the driver to pit. The team could not prove that one of the exemptions made under paragraph A2A to G of the technical directive 1117 was applicable. Therefore, the stewards considered there is a breach of Article 27.1 of the sporting regulations that the driver must drive the car alone and unaided. The 10-second penalty dropped Magnuson from 9th to 10th, and gave a position to Carlos Sainz. Ah. Uh. Yeah. So, 
if you listen to the radio conversation, which we didn't hear, um, Magnuson radioed to the team and said, we've done the wrong thing. There's already a dry line. His engineer replied, understood, Kevin. What do you want to do? Then there's a pause. So we'll do the start and then we'll figure it out. But near the end of the lap, the engineer said, okay, Kevin, I think we'll box now, box now, to which Magnuson replied, yeah, I agree. Box now, box now for dry. Yeah, box now for dry. Um, Over to Grosjean, the radio there was, the track is drying a lot already. It's almost tempting to box and put slicks. But just before the pit entry, his engineer said, box, Romain, box. So if the engineers hadn't ordered them in and if they had just said we're coming in for for tires it wouldn't have been a violation okay but because they were told to come in now normally Haas has two strategists at the track mm-hmm. to assist with these calls um, they only had one this week oh the other track was remote possibly via Zoom maybe FaceTime I think he was on FaceTime Facebook Messenger. Well, you know, Messenger now has rooms. Oh, that That's what it, he was. He was in the Haas strategy room on Facebook Messenger. Too bad he was there by himself. Um, no, he was not. He was there with the trackside team. So the reason why he was back in, in uh, England was because uh, he was riding his bike in, in Austria and broke his arm. <laughs> but he was the one who made the call for the two Haas cars to come in. Ouch. Yeah. The thing is, and yeah, he was the one who turned around and said, yeah, they need to come in. But it happened quick. And it was probably quick enough that the team, the minute they did it, went, oh, crap. Mm-hmm. Would be my guess. Yeah. I mean, it's. It, I think that in a way it's almost a fine line because... Kevin and Roman couldn't have come in unless the team told them it was okay. And you have to well, work it out. And so they, it's they it's, could have they they could have said we, we think we need to switch tires. Can we come in? And the team said could could have said yes. Mm-hmm. But instead it because it was that direction to come in. Yeah. Yeah, it, it it's a very fine line, but yeah, they they screwed it up. Sorry, Haas. Now, on the other hand, Red Bull escaped a penalty. So there was discussion about over in front of Alex Albin's car, and there was a dry patch that appeared in front of the car prior Mm -hmm. to the start. Um, And I guess somebody, actually it was Joe Bauer, who's the FIA technical directive, he notified the, the race stewards at the Hungar Ring that Red Bull had used... The, the leaf blowers that are usually used to cool the car to dry uh, Alex Albin's grid slot following the rain. We don't know exactly what happened. Um, we don't know why the ruling came down the way it did. However, the stewards did not um, give Red Bull a penalty. They cleared him of wrongdoing. What's interesting is the Sky Sports team were pretty adamant that this was something that would definitely cause a penalty 
because it was on video and they could see what was happening. Well, I think what they said they could see was that they could see that there was a definite dry patch in front of them. I don't recall them saying that they could see Red Bull using the blowers to dry that area. I, I could be Cause, wrong, cause one, but I one, thought one, they said, well, it's on video. It's, it's well, obviously. It, 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 was, it was on video that there was a dry patch, that, that the patch was dry in front of this car. That I think there's but no. They were denying. talking about the people in front of the car, so they they were talking that if people were doing something. They just couldn't maybe see well, exactly what they were doing. But but the other thing they couldn't they they admitted that they they were not closely paying attention to that because they were watching the activity around Max's car, and there was a lot of people in front of Max's car. Mm-hmm. So we don't know, but whatever it is, they were cleared of that penalty. Okay. Um, but teams are not allowed to dry off the grid boxes. They are, however, especially if it's raining, they're allowed to erect a tent over the car to keep the car dry. Correct. But you can't dry the box itself mm-hmm. to improve traction. And finally, Lewis Hamilton has said that um, he would like Formula One to be creative with the double. You know, these two back-to-back races, something to mix it up a little bit. Change the corners, sprinklers, grid girls. What do you know? <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, he, he says he, he had been really hopeful that maybe they could, you know, run the circuits in reverse. Mm-hmm. Um, but it turns out that since the circuits aren't built to be run in reverse, the, there's like important safety gear that's missing. So you can't do that. Well, they could run them in reverse if the car's in reverse. Oh, that would be a disaster. <laughs> One they lap. Can't, they you... can't see a car coming up behind them, so instead they drive. <laughs> One lap. It's a one-lap race entirely done in reverse. Yeah. I think they should use F2 cars for that. <laughs> Bumper cars is yeah. what they should use. Um. So the the best that we've got is the potential that Bahrain, they could use a different layout. That would be cool. Um, It would be more of the oval. I guess they're still leaning toward the oval layout. Mm. Mm, I don't know. It's not really an oval, but the rounded, the one with fewer corners. (laughs) You know. Squirkle. Squirkle. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to, I'm sure I'm going to get a ration for saying this out loud, but this is an opportunity that we could have seen something exciting and interesting come out of Paul Ricard because it's a test track that does have the ability to move corners and do things differently. That would have been something you could have done in the world's most boring race car track. Open up the banking at Monza. Or there's banking at Monza. <laughs> also a reasonable possibility. Yeah, the, the, that's about as likely as an exciting race at Paul Ricard. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay, so it's going to go in the, the book of things that will never happen. But. And on that note, we'll call it a show. 
We are so glad you came. Bye-bye. 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 Bye-bye now. Bye. Bye-bye. Remember, please discard all candy wrappers and popcorn containers in the nearest trash receptacle. Thank you. Okay, bye-bye now. Bye-bye. Bye. <laughs> okay. Are they all gone? Uh, is, is, there, is everybody gone? <laughs> huh? Good. Oh my gosh, my cheeks are killing me. I can't keep smiling like this anymore. I am exhausted. I think I need a break. <laughs> a little break? 